Open your Bibles, please, back to Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. We'll use that to get us going again on this subject of being soul winners. You should have had a burning in your heart hearing this congregation singing Psalm 18, I will call upon the Lord, and blessed assurance, and the vast majority meaning it with all their hearts. And we should want to share that with others. And we want them to share it with us. We want them to have the joy in the Holy Ghost of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ has secured for us an everlasting salvation and will not lose any of those for whom He died. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. If you want to be a practically righteous person today, tomorrow, this week, then you should be a tree of life to others. And if you're wise, and if you're going to practice biblical wisdom, then you should be winning souls. There's two things we need. A love of souls and the effort to pursue them. Let's try to boil it down and make it as simple as possible. We need the love of souls and then the effort to pursue them with God's blessing. Father in heaven, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the sake of His brethren, He is not ashamed to call us brethren. For the children that You gave Him to redeem, that we have the opportunity to meet in this life, we pray that You would give us the love for their souls that Paul had, and give us the wisdom that he had as he showed on Mars Hill to take what he had available and press home the claims of Jesus Christ on their lives. Bless us now according to your word, and bless us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We need to have a love of souls. You had John 1 read to you today. When Andrew and Philip were disciples of John, they watched and heard John point out Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God. And that was the last day they were disciples of John. Because they went after Jesus and Jesus said, uh, What are you looking for? And Where do you stay? And come and see. But then Andrew went and got Peter. Philip went and got Nathaniel, a brother, a friend, close family member, and a friend, and brought them to Jesus. We have found the Messiah. We have found salvation. We have found the Son of God. We have found the truth of God. And they brought them to Jesus. We want to have that same kind of personal ambition toward others. You know, I wish I was in front of each one of you momentarily, and just, I could remind you of some people that you know and that you ought to be pursuing. If you're going to be like Andrew and if you're going to be like Philip, and the Lord wants us to be like those two great examples. In Mark chapter 4 and 5, you know the story of Jesus sleeping in the hold of a ship in a storm. Why? Did he take his apostles out onto the Sea of Galilee when he knew there was going to be a storm? So they could see him say, peace, be still. Yes. Why else? So that he could cross the Sea of Galilee with his apostles and meet the one Gadarene. Mark chapter 5. 
The, the Gadarene was over there. Who's going to take care of the Gadarene? Well, the Lord Jesus had a love for a soul. And I have taught you in the past, one soul at a time. Will God give us one soul at a time that we can love? Like Andrew did Peter, Philip did Nathaniel, and Jesus did the Gadarene. A storm, a sea, by themselves. Just think of how many people he could have ministered to if he hadn't wasted his time on the Gadarene. Ah, but you need to see the indirect effect that the Lord Jesus had. The Gadarene wanted to go back across the Sea of Galilee with the Lord Jesus, and he said, no, I want you to go home. He didn't say, I want you to go to the mission field. He said, I want you to go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord hath done for you. And so he went, and Mark chapter 5 tells us, he began to publish these things in Decapolis, and many heard his message of what the Lord had done. Jesus in John 4 sat down on Jacob's well near Sychar of Samaria and met the woman of Samaria and engaged her in conversation. And she said, partway through that conversation, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Those are some of the amusing verses, words in the Bible. Yes, and more than a prophet. But, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And he continued on and telling her about her life. And, and she went back into the city and said, I, I just met a man who told me all things ever I did. Is this not the Messiah? And so about the whole city comes out. And they hear and they say, would you stay with us two more days? And Jesus the Jew stayed with the Samaritans for two more days. And many believed. And they wanted to make sure that that she knew that they believed, not because of what she told them, but because of what Jesus told them. The love of souls. The disciples were wondering, why was he in a conversation with a Samaritan woman? If you read John 4. I don't have time to read it to you right now. I hope that you... Know it from other times. This morning we heard about the two on the road to Emmaus and their hearts burning with the Lord. Why did he? You know, the apostles are assembled in an upper room. He eventually got there, but he's out there on a road walking along explaining the Bible to two souls. Is that a waste of time when you're the Son of God and the Lord of glory? It's an example in the Bible. Two souls that didn't believe. He had to call them fools and slow of heart to believe all that was written about the Lord Jesus Christ. But he took that time with them. Who is there in your life that you could take a little bit of time with? That's really the essence of this preaching. It's our 11th trait of higher ground. How can we please God more? Who could you take a little bit of time with? Have you learned any exciting things out of the Word of God? Who... Who could you share a few of those with? In going through all your contacts, relatives, friends, colleagues, students, who can you think of? You know, I've seen an interest in that person. I should say something to them. And we have so many more means to say things to them today than ever before. I hope that you will think about it. You know, the Lord Jesus taught us the principle of leaving 90 and 9 to go after one in Luke 15. The Spirit sent Philip all the way into the desert to find the eunuch. Into the desert. One man bounced along in that chariot with him and baptized him. And he went on his way rejoicing. Paul 
was allowed by the Spirit of God to be whipped, stripped, and thrown into the innermost prison of Philippi, Macedonia. But he met the jailer. Then he met the jailer's family. And that is how it should work. Meet a man. Answer his questions. Show him the truth of the gospel. Then his family. Matthew, we commend you for having some families here by your influence. Matthew Eastland. Look at Romans chapter 9. The love of souls first, then the effort. Do you have the love of souls? Is it exciting to you to share truth with others? Do you care about them? Do you have compassion? Jesus had compassion the multitudes. And He said, pray the Lord of harvest to send forth laborers into His harvest. John 4 was one of those places when He saw the city of Sychar coming out to uh, see Him. Romans 9. Now Romans 9, we usually go into it for other verses. Where do you start in Romans 9? I will bet it's somewhere between verse 13 and verse 24 when we go into Romans 9. But I don't want to go to those verses right now. I want to go to the first verses of the chapter. Paul has concluded his eight chapters of the presentation of the doctrine of salvation. He's going to move into the Jew-Gentile issue of salvation. But look at how he opens it in Romans 9. I say the truth in Christ. Can you say this with Him? Can I say it with Him? I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Paul, what are you about to say to us? Paul, do you have to use such strong language about your personal integrity after eight chapters of writing? I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God, blessed forever. Amen. Amen. Verse 2, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. That is one high standard. This is not the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man writing. This is the Apostle Paul. Do you see the love of souls? I have great heaviness and continual sorrow. Lord, you know, Lord, you know our hearts. We are not like Paul. And we want the higher ground. Revive us. Quicken us. Stir us to be more like this example. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Now the Apostle Paul, with those five verses opening chapter 9, was not contradicting what he taught in the rest of the chapter. He was praying and, and of great heaviness and sorrow 
for God's elect that they would come to a knowledge of the truth and he repeats it a little bit differently right here in the first four verses of chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. In between the first five verses of nine and the first four verses of ten is a statement, they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Which Israel do you think Paul is praying for in chapter 10? Those that aren't Israel or those that are Israel? If it's those that are Israel, which would make him consistent with himself, then it's elect Israel that are truly the children of God that were, that are vessels of honor made to glory, but they weren't converted. We believe that our role from the scriptures by God's grace is to convert men to the truth. God elects them. Christ justifies them, the Spirit regenerates them, and God will glorify them in the great day of judgment when He raises us and our bodies from the graves, but we're responsible for converting them. Jesus told Peter, just before His crucifixion, Satan has desired to have you, I've prayed for you, that your faith fail not, when thou art converted. Strengthen your brethren. Peter, you're going to have a mess in the next few hours, but you're going to be converted out of it. That means to be turned back, to be changed and turned. When we convert something, we change it from one use to a different use, from one nature to a different nature, from one status to a different status. And our role is to convert men. The Apostle Paul knew that there was an elect segment of Israel that refused to believe the gospel. And he wanted to help them believe it, if at all possible, because they were wasting their lives trying to keep Moses' law to establish their righteousness when he could tell them that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It was our schoolmaster, brethren, to bring us to Christ, as he wrote in Galatians chapter 3. And that's why we get an amused smile on our face when we think of him in the synagogue of Antioch of Pisidia of modern-day Turkey when they ask him, do you have any word of exhortation for the people? And he gets up and preaches Christ, that he's raised from the dead, that he's fulfilled the sure mercies of David, the perpetual priest and sacrifice for our sins, that there's no need for the law anymore for righteousness. As if there ever was, because there wasn't. Oh, I look at these verses, brethren, and I have preached through these verses word by word to you in the past. Right now, I just want you to look at them and say, say with me, you know, you don't have to say it out loud, but uh, Paul, Lord, we don't have the love of souls like Paul did. And so we'll be accomplishing our purpose in trait number 11, to come to grips with the fact that we don't love souls as much as we should. This wasn't for some intellectual discussion with his brethren, the Jews. This was to save them from their ignorance, as it says in verse 3, that they had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. Verse 2, they're going about to establish their own salvation on their own merits through the law of Moses, and they could tell them it's all over. 
it's finished. You know, we, we love those words, it is finished, from the cross of John 19.30. And to be able to tell someone that is still laboring to save themselves. See, Catholics are still laboring. They don't want to go to purgatory. They want to make sure they get out of hell and, and so forth and so on. And we get to tell them, it is finished. John 19.30. And then show them just how thoroughly Jesus did mean that. So the first thing we need is desire. We're selfish. We're lazy. We're sick. Jesus, the good shepherd, came for us. Right. You all know people. You work with them. You're related to them. You live next to them. You go to school with them. Lord, help us. We can do better, Lord, and we want to do better. Right. It hurts hearing it. It hurts comparing ourselves to Paul. But he said, be ye followers of me as I am a follower of Christ. Keep teaching us. Move us by your Holy Spirit to love souls more. The next thing we need to do is open our mouths or use our fingers or use our thumbs in today's age. Look at Job chapter 4 with me and let's see about Job. Now we've got some soul winners in Job and we've got some soul losers. There's two soul winners in Job. It's Job and Elihu, and there's three soul losers. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. What a mess they were. I hope that you can do better in your soul winning than they did. They thought they were winning him. They were going to get him to repent because he had all these secret sins, the mistresses on the side, the idols in the backyard hidden in the woodshed. Uh, they were just abusing him. And it wasn't true at all. But look at Job and what it says, and they knew it about Job. Job 4 is Eliphaz, and look what he says about Job. Verse 3, Behold, thou hast instructed many. Job was a soul winner. Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. There is a tree of life. Thy words have upholden him that was falling. And thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. There's a soul winner. The right word to say at the right time to lift up a soul and to help them. And then, you know, they went on to mock him, but now it has come upon thee and thou faintest. They're, you know, they're making, they're using the example of his life to punish him because now he's a little discouraged and wishing he was dead because of what had happened to him in the first two chapters. But the point I want is verses three and four. Job was a soul winner. And it tells us about lifting up those that are fallen down. And the truth of the gospel, even though a person may have believed and been baptized, there are events that happen in their lives that cast them down, and yet we can lift them up again. And, and Job did that. Look at Job chapter 29. Chapter 29. Here's Job speaking about his soul, soul winning. Verse 21. Unto me men gave ear. He wasn't lying or they'd have called his hand. You know, they've already admitted that he did this. He's just elaborating on it a little bit and getting a little self-righteous about it, but it was still true. Unto me men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. If they asked him a question, they didn't have anything else to say because they just wanted to hear what Job was going to say. After my words, they spake not again, and my speech dropped upon them. 
like dew or rain. And they waited for me as for the rain. And they opened their mouth wide as for the latter rain. If I laughed on them, they believed it not. And the light of my countenance they cast not down. I chose out their way and sat chief and dwelt as a king in the army as one that comforteth the mourners. He was highly respected and regarded in the advice he could give and men drank deeply from the well of wisdom that came through Job. But, you know, Job lost it. And so another soul winner appears in the scene, and that's Elihu, and we don't have time. I just preached Elihu to you recently. Every young man should learn Job 33 through Job 37, 32, because that's the introduction. Every young man, and this church has tried to practice that, needs to learn about Elihu, the one young man among these five learned men. The four were much older than he. They were very wise men, the wisest men of the East, Blessed men, knew God. Elihu was the only one that understood what was going on. He wrote the book of Job, and his chapters, chapters 32 through 37, are wonderful indeed. But he was a soul winner, and he helped save Job's life by the things that he taught him. David was a man that loved to save souls. Look at Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Now we're dealing with the effort right now of opening a mouth. Job opened his mouth and taught men. He instructed them. Elihu opened his mouth. Elihu didn't say a word for 31 chapters because they were older than he, so he showed proper respect and decorum. But he was ready to blow up like a wine bottle, he said, because he had so much he wanted to unburden himself of in the way of explaining Job's situation. But here's David. Psalm 37 and verse 30. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. So see, this isn't the heart desire of Paul anymore. This is the actual execution of opening your mouth to say something, or typing it, or texting it. It's the effort that is needed. And there's other verses. Look at 66.19 of Psalms. Psalm 66. And see if this doesn't remind you of another character that we've already mentioned this morning. Verse 16 of Psalm 66, Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what He hath done for my soul. That's the Gadarene. This is what God's done for me. David used it, and so did the Gadarene. And it's what Jesus told the Gadarene to do. So if you're wondering sometimes, what do I tell somebody? Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. There's nothing wrong with a personal testimony like that at all. We have the Bible as our example. Of course, you should start with your children. Look at Psalm 34 and verse 11. David said, Psalm 34, 11, Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And so part of our job is to train our children. But it's not the emphasis of this sermon. I just want to say that it is true. And I want to remind you that the Bible lays out a glorious progression of training children properly. It's in Psalm 78 and it's in Joel chapter 1. In both places, there are four generations listed. Joel is the shorter passage. I know it's harder to find. But if you can find Joel chapter 1, I'll show you the four generations of a father properly training his children. And it should motivate 
If you're going to marry and have a family, this should motivate you of what you're going to do with your family. The ministerial succession of the New Testament lists four generations. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, From Paul to Timothy, The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, my public ministry, the same we don't add to or take away from apostolic Pauline doctrine. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Also meaning in the same way. There's four generations. There's Paul. There's Timothy. Faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. But it's the same with fathers. Right. The most precious thing you can give your children is the truth of God's Word right. and the exciting things of it and what the Lord's done for your soul. Look at Joel 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it. And let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. That is so exciting. But if you neglect the first one, your family tree's cut off for all practical purposes unless God works a miracle. That's a, look at that passage. That's as powerful as the ministerial succession passage in 2 Timothy 2. Tell ye, so that's one generation, your children, then their children, then another generation. This is soul winning. This is how, why the Lord wants us to teach, starting with those children that are put into our laps at a very tender and young age and openness to the truth. In Acts chapter 10, when Simon Peter finally made it to uh, Caesarea, where Cornelius was, all they needed was a table for two, right? Cornelius and Peter. Who did he have there? (coughs) His family, his friends, his kinsmen, and soldiers that worked for him. He had a crowd. And he said, Peter, you have done well in coming because we are all here ready to hear whatsoever God hath commanded of you. That, That is so exciting. It was not a table for two. It was a crowd. Because Cornelius, you know what it starts off, Acts 10, Cornelius feared God with all his Italian house. Are you kidding me? He had converted Italians? Any Italians don't need to be offended. They're a hard conversion. When the gospel was only going to the Jews at that time. Right. The point being, it's Cornelius did not just have a desire for souls. It says he prayed to God all way, but he just wasn't praying for his family, his friends, his kinsmen, and his soldiers. He was talking, texting and tweeting with whatever means they had. Aquila and Priscilla, you heard it from Mark this morning, went after the powerful Apollos. They took, that was an effort. It takes initiative. Well, what if he tells me I'm an idiot? What if he makes fun of it? What if I'm a marked man? They went and did it. Who do you know? Got any family? Got any friends? Got any colleagues? Who do you know? 
Adam, you confronted Colin one night under a truck changing oil. He's here because of it. So there's desire, and then there's, let's do something. Who can I write? Who can I text? Who can I see? Who can I send a verse to? You have some of the neatest inventions in the history of the world to just slide in to somebody's life, and they pop up, and they have to read a verse. Isn't that terrible? A verse from you. You have advantages. And if you like social media, then use that social media. Let it be your marketplace. Paul went to the marketplace because at the marketplace in Athens, people would talk about new things in philosophy and they would debate things. Paul went there to find people that wanted to hear new things and he gave them a new thing. He gave them Jesus risen from the dead and coming back to judge you philosophers. I hope you enjoyed Acts chapter 17 last night if you read it. Did you notice that he did not quote Scripture to them? He did not quote Scripture. He quoted a Greek minor poet to them. He referred to their altar to the unknown God. You don't know who to worship. I'll tell you about Him. I'll tell you something about the blood of all men. That you Athenians... You philosophers that think you Greeks are so wise are no different than the barbarians in the world because God hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the earth and the providential distribution of their nations and the boundaries thereof are by God's design. He just laid into them with basic, fundamental, creator, providential God over their lives and there's no way that He could be worshipped in any of the stupid temples you have built because such a God is not worshipped in a temple built with hands. It is so logical. It is philosophy 101, bam! Right in their chops. These guys thought that the world began and ended with them. He used them. Then he abused them. And you know what? Some repented. I was talking to Nancy at break time. I can't wait to get to heaven to meet Damaris. Don't. She. I just like Damaris. All it says is, and a woman named Damaris got up. Do you know what a privilege it was for a woman to sit on Mars Hill with the philosophers of Athens, Greece? She had a choice. The most exalted woman in Athens or the Lord Jesus Christ who's risen from the dead and He's coming back to judge this world. I take Jesus. If that doesn't do anything to you, I don't know how to do anything to you. Because it, and a woman named Damaris. Can you imagine the thought, thinking, you're sitting in that crowd of, they're mocking the Apostle Paul, they're making fun of the resurrection. Some are saying, yeah, we'll hear about you, we'll hear about this again sometime. And she just gets up and slips out with Dionysius the Areopagite. I wonder how often he spent on Mars Hill, or how often he was at Mars Hill since he was named the Areopagite. That's the other name for the place. The effort. Paul was in there. You can do this. Brethren, you can do this. The Thessalonians did it. From them sounded out the word of the Lord. We have tools that no one's ever had before. We should be soul winners in the sense of converting men from darkness to light. These men don't need to be aborigines. You know, there's a lot of people in America right now that are in a lot of darkness. The eunuch was in some darkness. He couldn't even figure out Isaiah 53. 
You know, everyone in here knows what Isaiah 53, who it's about and what it's about. Cornelius was in darkness. He didn't know what to do. Apollos was in darkness about the Lord Jesus Christ having already fulfilled the ministry of John the Baptist. There's no Bible precedent for worrying about Aborigines brothels or those farthest from God. Paul never went after those the farthest from God. Paul went after those that already showed the fear of God. And that's what we're supposed to look for. Remember this morning, 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul endured all things for the elect's sakes. Acts chapter 17, if you read the first 10 verses carefully, it says that we are told his manner of evangelism. What was his manner of evangelism? To go to a new city, get the yellow pages, and look up not the brothels, not the malls, and not the football stadiums to hold John 3.16 up behind the goalposts. His method was to go find the synagogue where there were people already reading the Bible, but didn't know about the Lord Jesus Christ. And those audiences were made up of Jews that were still in ignorance, and they were made up of Gentile proselytes, and he had them both. He had both segments of the city, the God-fearing best among them, in one place. And he would preach Jesus to them. And then they would go home and tell unconverted relatives, and the next time there'd be a bigger meeting, and the next time there would be a bigger meeting. The Bible tells us that. So there's there's no Bible precedent for going to the Aborigines brothels and those farthest from God. We want to find those like Apollos that are near to God, that God's already done a work in them, that we can show them the way of God more perfectly. We live in a so-called Christian nation. Most everyone you meet is going to be a Christian. You know, you may never meet a person that's not a Christian. Generally speaking, I'm just generalizing. Because of where we live. So we start with our children, our immediate family, then our extended family. You know, the Bible says that spouses are able to save spouses. Right. Two places in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7.16 and 1 Peter 3.1. Let's use the Corinthian passage. They're both equally effective. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is soul winning of the Bible sort. Soul winning. Now, how close is that? Is some woman supposed to divorce her husband and go become a missionary to the Aborigines or the brothels in, in Las Vegas? She can win her unconverted husband. And it tells us so. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 16, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? And the burden here isn't on the Lord to elect them and Christ to justify them and the Spirit to regenerate them, but the spouse to stay with them so that they can show by a godly lifestyle most of all and by appropriate words at the right time why they have such happiness, joy, and contentment serving an unbeliever. It can work both ways. In 1 Corinthians 7, 6, this is the soul winning that we're talking about. This can't alter election. This doesn't alter the names in the book of life. God wrote the names in the book of life before the foundation of the world because that's what the Bible tells us. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. We can't get names in the book of life. No man can but one. And the Lord Jesus Christ and He alone. We then should consider neighbors, colleagues, fellow students, friends, strangers that you meet that you might have an opportunity to share something with to rock their world. 
Not to be crazy, not to be overly provocative, but to give them something exciting, to give them something joyful, truthful from the Word of God that answers some of the dilemmas that are facing everyone today. We have all the answers. We know the origin of death. We know the cause of death. We know the cure of death. We know the end of death. Now death is a subject evolutionists don't like to deal with because it's never been evolved away. You know, when salamanders wanted big, pretty wings, they were able to grow eagle's wings, but they can't get rid of death. We know where it came from. You know, we have answers. You know, with the political upheaval in our country, moral degradation in our country, we have the answers. We know where it came from. Now, some of these you need to be a little bit careful with. But if somebody ever says, where did sodomy come from? They, well, they don't call it that anymore. But where did the gay lifestyle come from? We know exactly where it came from. Romans chapter 1 tells us that when people are unthankful and they don't give glory to their Creator, period. That's where it came from. God's rewired this nation so that they want to do perverse things among themselves to disgrace themselves. And God says it is a fit punishment for not being thankful to me. It's Romans 1, 18 through 28. It's as plain as a first grade primer. I wouldn't start with that. I don't think I had that in the first line of my table called small pill evangelism. Because <laughs> we'll all be meeting at the local detention center trying to get you out. There are people around you that are in darkness. The Apollos's, the Corneliuses. They need to know the way of God more perfectly and you can tell them. And you should have a desire for it and you should make the effort. We wait until we see some interest on their part in in communication with them that they have an interest in the things of God. They have a fear of God. It may not be very developed. It may not be very knowledgeable. But they have a conscience about them, and when we sense that conscience, we can start to tell them things that will benefit them. But then there's a, sal- there's a conversion and a salvation and a soul winning that we're supposed to do inside this church. Look at James chapter 5. And so we want to we cover this subject of soul winning as widely as we can, though it won't be as deep as we could because it's been done before and it may be done at some other time. We should be soul winners in the sense of recovering men from error back to the truth. Because this is what the Bible says. We have a duty toward each other to keep us all strong in the faith and not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Look at the last two verses of the epistle of James. And he's out of there. There's no salutation, there's just this. James 5.19 Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth. So there's a soul winning function that we all owe to each other when we see any one of us erring from the truth. Doctrinally, practically, whatever, when we see a person slipping, we're supposed to go after them. Brethren, if any of you, these believers, these beloved believers, these beloved brethren that James is writing could depart from the truth and it's our job to save them by recovering them. Let him know that he which converteth, see, change back. He's in the truth. He slips out of the truth. You sit down with him. You get him back in the truth. He slips out again, if we're honest. 
and you get them back in. You convert them back in. Let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way. It's his error. He's fallen into heresy. Shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Save a soul from death. A soul that is no longer in fellowship with God because they're imbibing error and living an unholy life is saving them from death. The word death is used that way a number of times in the New Testament. It talks about widows that are living in pleasure. They are dead while she liveth. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 6, The prodigal's father said of him, This my son was dead. No, he wasn't. But he was dead to fellowship. There was no death certificate filled out for him, but he was dead to fellowship. And when we have a brother or a sister in here, and we should care for each one of them, that the love of souls is not only those out there in darkness that God providentially brings around us, but also those of us in here. We need encouragement and comfort and strengthening and reminding of the great promises of God. And that's what these two verses are about. And so ends the book of James. This is not anything new. It is taught in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, Galatians chapter 6, Romans chapter 15. This kind of soul winning is internal to the church of God. But I don't have any more time for it. It's not even, it's not even unique to the New Testament because Moses taught it in Leviticus 19.17 that if you love your neighbor, then you will not in any wise allow sin in his life. Thou shalt rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. That is loving your neighbor. And you know, if we all stuck up for each other, we all chased each other down that way and kept us in the way of righteousness. It's why we're in a church. Lord, help us to that end. That is soul winning as well. Okay, how can we do a better job? You should save the souls in your family first, then in your church, in the way that I just described, and then others by providence. God will bring them your way. He knows where... There is a eunuch bouncing along in a chariot down in the desert. And he can arrange for you to be there if you're asking him. Are you asking him? Is there anyone at the office that I work at that I could have the right moment with to share something with them from the Word of God? If you have a chance with any person questioning things, help them think straight for a change. If they're questioning things, I just don't know about what's going on in my church. When you hear something like that, just mosey right on over um, and let them let them commit themselves a little bit further. Maybe entice them out on that branch before you fire up your three and a half horsepower chainsaw. And I mean that in loving kindness for their eventual profit. It's not nice to hear that you've been doing something wrong all your life when you first hear it, but then it becomes very nice when you find the truth. Have we, haven't we all been there before? Amen. So when you when you hear somebody questioning something, ah, I'm going to remember that. When the moment's right, I want to share something with them. The kind of rabbit that you get from the things you share is the kind of carrot that you show them. Without me going into any unnecessary detail, I've seen carrots used to get the wrong kinds of rabbits. And then you have churches of rabbits that like carrots that are not gospel carrots. Instead of sharing politics, let's always be pushing toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of sharing health, let's move toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you will get the kind of rabbits that like the kind of carrots that you stuck out there. 
And those churches don't last. And those converts don't last. We want someone that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And trust me, if they're born again and regenerated, they have within themselves, though it may be quite suppressed at the time, a love for Christ. And if you will come through with a Christ-like life and the glory of Christ and your passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, they will buy in. But if you hold out other carrots, they could buy in and they don't even know Jesus Christ. The regenerate elect want Jesus Christ, for that's what the Spirit teaches them on the inside. Enthusiasm sells. How enthusiastic are you for the gospel? How passionate are you about the Lord Jesus Christ? The truth of the Bible? The King James Version? Church? Assemblies? Singing? Enthusiasm sells. Christians should visibly show real passion for Jesus Christ and the truth. Then, you know, your life should adorn the doctrine and make it obvious as the winning religion. Because the way you live, the way you live with your spouse, the way you live with your children, the way you work on the job, the way you save your money, the way that you're respective of government, the way you get along with people that don't like you in the office place, all the opportunities that a Christian gets to show that they live by a different standard. And they're happy about it. And they get along better and it works. You're selling the gospel just by your life. And I don't mean that in some foolish, sacrilegious, ridiculous, fleshly way when I say the word sell. Your conduct is of great importance to avoid hypocrisy and to let your light shine. The way you live. Are you the hardest worker in your office? Are you the most respectful? The easiest to approach? Respectful of government, loving of your wife or loving of your husband, depending on the circumstances. All those things eventually become obvious because they're watching us. Your life may be the only Bible some persons will ever read. So make it an accurate version. Your life. What makes you different? Everybody else in here is going crazy about this change that's coming down. And you seem totally content. Here you are working at your desk. And you have an opportunity to tell them. Because I believe that God is in charge of all this. And He's arranged it for our profit if we'll respond to it correctly. Well, how should I respond? Thank you for asking. Come in and close the door. Uh, you know, you're going to have these... Op- Lord, Lord, give us more opportunities. Sometimes we're so slow of heart and mind stubborn and blind that we can't see opportunities right in front of us, but show show these people, show me, show us all opportunities for us to share the gospel, share the truth of your precious word, that we might be like an Andrew with a Peter and like a Philip with a Nathaniel and like Aquila and Priscilla with Apollos. In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask thee, amen. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You know, I want to commend this church. I want to commend this church for your attendance. You know, if someone were to come and visit us on a Sunday morning and then come and visit us on a Wednesday evening, they find out that there's just as many people here on a Wednesday evening as there are on a Sunday morning. That just doesn't ring right to them because they've never seen it or heard it before. And I commend you for that. Our public assemblies should be designed not to deceive, and they have been for decades, not to deceive, but to present 
what we see in the Bible as reflecting a godly apostolic assembly. And you should hate any disturbances to that, to those assemblies. Look at these verses. I, I enjoy these and I hope that you will with me. Paul is explaining, stop speaking in tongues all the time. Because when visitors come in, they think you're a bunch of mad barbarians. There's so much noise and confusion going on. Let there be some profitable teaching being done. That's the context. Verse 24, but if all prophesy, he's saying, stop the tongue speaking and let people prophesy. That means to preach and to reveal God's will by inspiration back in that day. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, there's an unbeliever, or one unlearned, he doesn't know much about the truth of the gospel, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, because he understands every word that is being said, that he does not have faith like that, and he does not know the Lord Jesus Christ like that, and he did not know about the coming of Jesus Christ to judge this world. Okay? He had, he's hearing all these things. Verse 25, And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Is that possible? That we can have church services that people could come into that are wondering, that are wandering, that are questioning, that are looking for a church, that are looking for truth, that are looking for Christ, and by the love we have to each other, does the Bible say that anywhere? John 13, 34 and 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, by the love ye have one to another. But this one right here, everything done out of this pulpit is reverent. It is based on the Word of God. We present the Word of God over and over. Introductions to services. Men reading Scripture. Over and over, the Word of God. We don't dress casually. Not because we're trying to show off suits. We're trying to stop the degradation of worship in America. The Bible says that worship is supposed to be done with reverence and godly fear. And if we reverence somebody that we're going to interview with or we're going to have a performance appraisal with on the job, we dress up for them. And Malachi chapter 4 tells us we should be, Malachi 1 tells us we should be consistent in the matter that if we're going to dress up or treat an earthly authority that way, we should treat the Lord that way. There's reasons why we do what we do. And we lay as much Scripture out there because we love the Word of God. But when the Lord has regenerated a person and they've gone to a church where all the emphasis is on the praise band and all the emphasis is on storytelling and some charismatic leader is up there talking about himself, then they come to a church where the emphasis is on the Bible. Look what it says. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. There's reasons why we do what we do. And we want to just keep right on doing them. And I hope that this short point right now will help you all think about it. We want to keep our attendance up. You know, we don't come for visitors' sake, but it's just another reason out there. We assemble faithfully because the Bible tells us to in Hebrews 10.25 because we want to be around the people of God. We want to be under the preaching of God's Word. We want to be in the house of God. We want to go where the Spirit of God is in the New Testament. I just like those verses. I hope you did. So our apostolic, simple worship method, we just trust that God's elect will be intrigued by it and want to come back. You know, I shared with you just a few weeks ago about how a person had been here 
an intelligent, inquisitive, skeptical man. And he was here because of a brother in here. And his mind was in turmoil because of some of the things we believe. Understood. But he told me and he wrote me, and I have it in writing from him, 10 feet out on that sidewalk. He said, I knew I had been in the house of God with God and His people. Okay. Our services should be sober, edifying, enthusiastic, family integrated, and with warm greeters to anyone who comes. Our love of each other should be palpable without pretensions. We should avoid any disturbances as much as possible to make it pleasant for them to be here without too many whining children and exits for toilet breaks and so forth. Okay, then you need to know how to tell people the truth. Once you make an effort toward them, you better know what you're talking about. So Hebrews 5 says, When for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. We should all be making advances beyond the first principles of our faith. And I hope that you are. We try to do it out of the pulpit through emails constantly through the week. Lord, help us to that end. I'm hurrying now a little bit. Oh, that's, that was on cue. Don't worry about it, Kristen. I brought that on myself for even mentioning it. You all know how those things work. Let's be amused by it. Please help me. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. Let me try to wrap this up quickly, although I have a number of points I want to make. You know, when we make the, we, we, we've got to have the love of souls, then we've got to make the effort. But before we make the effort, we better know what we're talking about. Because if you make the effort with someone, they can ask you some questions that'll, that'll really get your attention. You know, I've never heard that before. But there's an answer for that. Do you know the Bible answer when somebody asks you a question that you don't know the answer for? It's Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. I'll see you next week. you got a Bible basis for it. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. Listen, if I was to answer that right now, I think I'd be trying to snow you. So let me go get the right answer, and I will get back to you, and always get back to them. But you can go get an answer, and I'll help you get the answer if the Lord will help me. Proverbs chapter 22, look at verse 17. Bow down thine ear. And the Lord is speaking to you and to me right now. First of all, we need to listen ourselves before we tell anyone else anything. Bow down thine ear. That is to humble your mind and listen to someone else teach you. Bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. There is a lot in that verse that I can't go over right now, but I hope you can see it. The humility of bowing down your ear, the hearing the words of another person. Do not let that bother you if it's according to God's word. You can search it out and prove that it's according to Scripture and then apply your heart to my knowledge. Embrace that truth and love that truth, and commit yourself to it. Verse 18, For it is a pleasant thing, if thou keep them, that is the words of the wise, within thee. They shall withal be fitted in thy lips. If you love the truth of God's Word, and you've listened to it well, and you've bowed down your ear, and it's a pleasant thing to you, it will be a pleasant thing to you if your heart is right, it's going to start to be fitted in your lips. You'll start to think and speak that way. Now listen here, it goes in here, embrace it here, and then when you speak, out come these words. This is the goal for this church, and especially for the young men. 
sitting in this church. Feast on God's Word and listening. First, they shall be withal fitted in thy lips. Verse 19, that thy trust may be in the Lord. I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Have not I written to thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge? Did Solomon write us anything excellent in counsels and knowledge? Amen. Amen, he did. And why did he do it? Verse 21, that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. How do we answer the words of truth? The certain words of truth. Not the maybe words of truth. Not the I think truth. Not the well I believe or I feel. No. The certain words of truth. We start by bowing down our ear, hearing, embracing them. And it comes to our mouths. Just the same as Paul taught in Hebrews chapter 5, that they who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Do you know how you get smarter in God's Word and able to answer questions? By reason of use. It's exercised just like doing... Where did it go? (laughs) Just like doing curls builds your bicep. By using the Word of God, looking at current events in the paper, online, with people talking around you, what would apply from the Scriptures? Just doing it by reason of use. How do we do it? We sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. 1 Peter 3.15 You know the verse. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give a reason Not an opinion, but a reason of the truth, of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. But it starts out with sanctifying the Lord God in your heart. That means setting up God very high, that you delight in Him and that you are nothing in His sight. And He is the Lord Jehovah of the universe and there is no other God. And you're going to live a holy life in obedience to Him. When you sanctify the Lord God in your heart, you can take on being on trial and answering your opponents who want to put you to death. And you can answer their questions in the office place. But it starts, that verse tells us, starts by sanctifying the Lord God in your heart. How much do you delight in Him and exalt Him in your own self? Use anything at your disposal that you see them questioning or their religious background. Ask them where they go to church, where they've gone to church, if they're not going to church now. Just like the Apostle Paul used an unknown God on an altar of the Greeks, or he also used that poet. Find common ground when you can. Agree with them when you can. When Paul preached in Acts 13 in that synagogue situation that I've referred to twice already, now it's three times, when I can no longer do this, then you'll know that I'm losing my mind to tell you how many times I've repeated myself. When Paul was in that synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia, if you go read his sermon in Acts 13, do you know what those Jews were saying all the way down through it until it got to the invitation? They were shouting amen. He was finding common ground with them. So did Stephen in Acts chapter 7. When you go read Stephen's lengthy sermon that's recorded in Acts chapter 7, they would have been shouting amen 80% of the way through it. The Apostle Paul, when he gave his testimony later in the book of Acts, they were all shouting amen until he used a G word. That they didn't want it. Gentile. They did not want to hear that word. Because Paul said as he got along toward his testimony, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to me and said, I send you to the Gentiles. Well, as soon as they heard the word Gentiles, kill the man. But until then, find some common ground. We don't have to disagree with everybody on every point. We don't want to. Consider the importance of friendliness and hospitality, which are commandments. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Some have entertained angels unawares. 
Think about fishing. Is soul winning called fishing in the Bible? Do we do it with M80s? Don't turn around. We used to call it uh, Apache evangelism. We thought that the King James Bible was our tomahawk and that we were supposed to go find ourselves an Arminian so that we could put another scalp on our belts. A long time ago, Lord, forgive us for any damage that we did to the children of God. Consider fishing. Where do you go to fish? In the woods? Or do you go where there are fish? Okay. You say that's up. Well, we're thinking about soul winning. Go to where you might run into somebody who's thinking a little deeper than most. You use the right bait. Doesn't each kind of fish... I'm asking you. You know I'm asking you. Doesn't each kind of fish need some kind of a bait that attracts them? So you've got to be thinking about what bait would attract this fish. Don't look at me that way, Donald. You know I've, I don't know what I'm talking about. Do you frighten the fish? Paul and I can only remember sitting in aluminum rowboats as young boys. It's 105 in the shade. Sweat is running from every pore. Don't move, boys. You'll scare the fish. So we should... It doesn't matter whether you're using a net or a, a net or a pole. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You don't scare the fish off. Right. You want to lull them in. So we shouldn't be violent in our approach to, to them. You know, they're scorners sometimes, and should they be responded to violently? Yes. But not to ones that we're talking about. So we go where there are fish, we use the right bait, we don't frighten them, and what else does it take that I don't have? Patience. You know, I want to jump in the water and chase them. <laughs> to wait for them to come, to, that was too much. Dad's learned too. He'd rather sit and shoot <laughs> rather than wait for fish to jump in the boat. But you understand, we're supposed to be fishers of men. So let's do it that way. Let's go where there are fish. Let's use the right bait. Let's not frighten them and let's be patient because we're waiting for the Lord to reveal His to us. It's going to be hard work and only a few will respond to be consistent with our gospel. Only a few love the truth. There's many that go in the broad way and the wide gate, but there's only a few that want the straight gate and the narrow way. Just keep that in mind. We want to pray for contacts far and near, and we want to increase our use of this powerful means, and that is to pray for God to send us someone that we can share His truth with. Right. He, he will arrange it if you have the heart for it and are ready for it. Let's not be like Jonah, who in our love of the truth might despise unbelievers and is waiting for the world to go to hell. You know, that's what Jonah was waiting for. He wanted Nineveh to go to hell. He wanted Nineveh to burn up. He built himself a box seat, Jonah chapter 4. He didn't want to go preach the first time because he didn't want anyone to be converted because he knew that God was gracious and would spare the city that had 120,000 souls under five years of age. We, you know, our world is going to hell. But we don't have to delight in that fact. We want to... We want to save and help as many as we can along the way that the Lord might bring our way. Jonah had a terrible attitude. He's in the Bible, so there's comfort in the little book of Jonah sometimes. But we want to be different than Jonah. Crush your liberty if it might hinder the truth. Their conscience rules. Do you all understand that? 
when you're doing something that could be questioned by someone else's liberty, don't do it. We can give it up for them. We'll gladly give it up for them. Paul says some powerful things in chapters 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians about being made all things to all men that he might by all means save some. And so we should be willing to change in order to influence people more effectively. You have detailed outlines and many other helps online for most Bible questions that anyone's going to ask you. If you hear a discussion about Calvinism and Arminianism, you can bring them an outline with pictures of John Calvin and Jacobus Arminius, and you can present them a table of the five points of Calvin, the five points of Arminianism, and where we disagree on two points. It's been ready-made for you. You have many other helps online. Do you know how to use that little magnifying glass and do a search for a chapter of the Bible, for a verse, for a doctrine, a concept, a question of heresy? There's a lot of help there for you. Where do you fail, brethren? Where Where do we fail? Is it no desire? then let's pray for God to revive our desire. Is it no prayer? Then let's start praying that the Lord will send us someone. And when I say us, I mean you, all of us, you individually. That the Lord will send us someone. Are you not a good example? Then live a different life in front of them. Live the life that God wants you to live for Him. If you live the life for Him that He wants you to live for Him, it'll be enough to generate questions by others that are born of Him. There's no better friends in the Bible than Jonathan and David. Are you a Jonathan? When David was holed up in the woods trying to hide from King Saul, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 23, 16, Jonathan went to him in the wood and strengthened his hand in God. Amen. Oh. Do you know what the souls of those two men were like deep in the woods when Jonathan got done lifting David back up? The praise that would have come out of their mouths, their hearts would have been ready to explode, and if he'd have tossed them two swords, they'd have taken on all the Philistines and Hittites and Egyptians together. We want to be slow winners like that. When you're rebuffed in your efforts, look for easier fruit elsewhere. I have an example of Jesus in Luke chapter 9 and the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13. When the Gentiles blasphemed God, he said, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. He wasn't going to waste his time with fools and scorners. And Jesus did the same thing. They went to a different village of the Samaritans in Luke chapter 9. Replace your comfort zone with Christ's loving zone. Amen. I know you're un- some of you are very uncomfortable to approach someone, mention something, but replace your comfort zone with His loving zone. Do not claim to be Jesus Christ and then neglect others. He wouldn't. What soul will you pray for today? And labor for today? Which soul tomorrow? We have business cards to introduce Solomon's Proverbs. It's the easiest way to do it. We started with commentaries on Solomon's Proverbs to get in with a very small pill that should be exciting to anyone seeking wisdom by explaining Solomon's 915 Proverbs to them. But you know, at the end of each proverb, I try to bring in the church that they're attending, whether they're hearing preaching of the gospel, and where Christ Jesus fits into that message of that commentary. It's the easiest one to use. There's cards over here that you can take. Take as many as you want, but use all that you take, and we'll print them until the cows come home. It's, the, it's, an, it's an easy way to do it. Uh, there's a couple different cards over there. One explains more about our church. One is just about the Proverbs commentaries. There's business. There's larger brochures over there to hand them about our church 
that explains six things about our church. It's a little hard. It's a little harsh. You know, I've read it a couple more times over the last couple of days and wish I could rewrite it, but uh, it'll separate the chaff from the wheat. <laughs> but, you know, my father was talking to me about it at break time, and I said, Dad, you know, last night reading Acts chapter 17, there's the Apostle Paul. He was gentle, gentle, gentle. By the way, guys, God's given you assurance that He's coming back to judge you by raising Jesus from the dead. Now that is one bottom line. And if you read that carefully, he was gentle, gentle, less gentle. Bam! Jesus is coming back as a man to judge this planet. You know, there's things we could do as a church in the future. You know how to use electronic. You could make an electronic family newsletter to send to extended family, and you could declare Christ in truth to your extended family. You can use social media soberly and wisely to passionately present Jesus in wisdom. God and the Lord Jesus Christ sent messengers to us at different times in our lives who had a desire to serve or we would have never heard them, who opened their mouths and we did hear them, and our hearts burned. We were shown things that we went home and search the Scriptures to see if these things were so, and embrace them, and they changed our lives. We want to do that for others. For our church to be all that it should be going forward, we can't close up the doors and be content with ourselves here. We want to be like these examples throughout both Testaments and be soul winners and be trees of life. He or she delighted in God above all others, he or she was a tree of life to all others. I don't know of a better way to live. The two commandments. Let's be the best. Let's run the fourth lap of our mile race for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.